Hello and welcome to Ways Women Lead, the podcast where remarkable female leaders share their personal journeys and offer valuable guidance on advancing your career as a woman in leadership. Join host Anna Gramadska and her guests as they delve into various aspects of leadership, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is brought to you by Six Group, a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. Lena, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Ways of Women Lead. It is a pleasure to have you here. It's my pleasure. Hi, Anna. Hi, everyone. Let me share an introduction just to give a context to, to who you are. Fantastic career with over 20 years of experience in human resources and communications. You've worked uh, for global organizations such as IKEA and PepsiCo, which is the organization where you spend the last 10 years progressing through roles of increased responsibility, focusing on driving cultural transformation and designing talent, diversity and inclusion and communication and engagement strategies and driving various talent initiatives. And fantastic global career, leading teams and initiatives across multicultural matrix environments, working from across Asia and Europe and Americas, and some great achievements under your belt. You've been awarded while at PepsiCo the highly commended Diversity Team of the Year Award and the PepsiCo's Chairman's Award for raising the bar in talent and diversity. So I'm looking forward to the conversation and hearing a little bit more. We'll dive into topics related to talent, engagement, and diversity, equity, and inclusion specifically related to complex environments where you have a lot of experience. So maybe to give a little bit of context to your own uh, leadership journey, what have been the key milestones in your leadership journey? Yeah, first of all, thanks for such a great summary. You know, like it's always such a pleasure to actually hear the summary of your own career when someone else is narrating it. So thanks for that. It sounded really great. But it didn't feel like that, right? So because when you are within this journey, so you just feel different, right? So because it's not that kind of, you know, like you don't experience this greatness at every step that you make. You don't feel like, you know, like you are 100% successful at every step that you make so when you're asking me about the key milestones of of the leadership journey I really want to talk about one because I think that this is the one that actually kind of defined me as a leader and it started really early in my career and in principle my career started really early not because I planned it that way I think I'm just coming from the generation where there was so much pressure of how much you need to achieve, you know, like, and how early you need to start, right? So you just have to start very early. So basically, you know, I've been working, you know, even through my university years, but even after, you know, my first full-time job in IKEA, like global corporation, literally started days after my graduation party, you know, like, I, I'm not going to go into like, you know, like how I felt you know, like after the graduation party, but this is how my career started, right? It was very rushed it was at times it was a really like messy okay I need to jump on things you know like and start doing things and so on but you know like I think the key element that actually defined me later as a people manager and as a leader when I was 26 years old and uh, I just had a baby basically like a few months and I was offered to lead my first team uh, my first team in another big corporation in their organization where 90% of employees were male 
right? So it was a mining industry and it was just basically men, men, men everywhere you go. I was offered to lead a team responsible for culture engagement, later communications as well. And I immediately felt how big those shoes were for me, right? I was not ready. And I think that this idea like, oh my God, I'm not ready for that. You know, I don't know what to do. You know, like, why are you giving me all of that? So, and how I can actually prove myself that really, you know, what it's all about, you know, like to be a leader, what it's all about to basically just to manage people. Like, and I had to learn from that experience that was kind of driven by a lot of fears and uh, concerns and challenges and, and so on. But in principle, it, it became really clear to me, like in a couple of years, I've been really struggling, but then it became really clear to me what's important for me and how I want to build my journey. You know, like I didn't expect it to be like as great as, as it happened, but in principle. So I decided for myself that whatever decision I make in my career, I will be making it based on how it, much of impact I can create rather than how much power I can get. And it took me like a while to to have this idea very clear, but I realized that being a leader and becoming a leader and having a leadership journey, it's not just an idea of this vertical career. I know it's kind of quite basic now, but you know, like 20 years ago, it took me a while to, to, to get to this concept. It's not a vertical career. I'm not driven by this idea of vertical career, but I'm driven of an idea of this horizontal impact that I can create. And um, since that, I wasn't really kind of looking for new big roles, so, but I was looking for the right organizations, how I can grow, you know, like I, I always say, any job is actually can be as small as you want it to, as, as you want to keep it or as big as you want to make it, right? So like, I mean, how I can create these big things, how I can, you know, uh, make my agenda bigger, how I can make people love it, you know, like how I can spend time with their, with the people, you know, like with my team, with the leaders to make sure that we all together can create the impact. So You've always been driven by a purpose rather than titles. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, uh-huh. you know, very funnily, I've never actually, I've never articulated it that way. Mm-hmm. But eventually, yes, this is how mm-hmm. it was, right? So because uh, when I found myself in a different type of like situation where it was more like hierarchical or, you know, it was like this powerful or something else. So I wanted to be somewhere else, you know, and yes, if it lacked purpose, it didn't make sense for me. So this is how I kind of eventually came to this idea that, yeah, it needs to be purpose. It needs to be impact. It needs to be energy. It needs to be fun. You know, like it needs to be for people and with people. And and yes, basically, this is how I um, kind of frame my whole leadership journey, hopefully. We talked before about your passion for diversity, equity and inclusion and how you've always been. I mean, th- these are some of your biggest achievements at PepsiCo, for example. This is what has been kind of uh, one of the key uh, areas of focus throughout your career. Was that first example, that first role, was that when your passion kind of started, uh, do you feel? This is the interesting thing. I think, you know, when I started my career, such thing didn't exist, right? So we didn't speak about diversity, equity, inclusion, nothing like that. I used to work in these big organizations, you know, with very different gender balance. And and I found myself in different type of kind of HR agendas. uh, But we never spoke about that. So I discovered DNI at some point of my career journey and I loved it. So this is, it's not that I was 
driven by this kind of idea that I I would really love to do DNA at some point. No, so I didn't know that it exists, right? Mm-hmm. So and then I discovered that, and I was like fascinated by that. I I still remember my first DNA training. I think it was like 15 years ago. If you if you think about that, that was so basic, right? So like me. We don't talk about such things anymore. So it's much more sophisticated. It's much more nuanced. But at that point, I was fascinated. You know, like I was like, oh, my God, I I asked questions. I I had in myself, but I was never asked in my whole life. Right. So like and and I, I mean, I saw how people were kind of challenged by those questions, you know, like by this is this these experiences that they heard about and so on. So I discovered this thing and I I just I just loved it. And I think that eventually so what actually I was driven by this idea that such things like safety, respect, love in principle, they are not the things that need to be earned. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, everyone has a right for that. Everyone has a right for that. Everyone has a right to be loved. Everyone has a right to be respected. Everyone has not only the right, but actually everyone needs to be safe, right? So, mm-hmm. and eventually when we are building our kind of DNA agendas where we are talking about things, we are talking about respect and safety and love and inclusion and, you know, all of these things. And this idea that everyone has a right for that and you... Mm-hmm. It, no one should be like fighting for that, but still has to, right? So mm-hmm, that that mm-hmm. idea I had in me, and I think mm-hmm. that when I found the right way to channel, you know, like how I can contribute, how I can create an impact in this area. So I, well, I mean, I fell in love with this idea that mm-hmm. you know we can actually build something in the organization. I, I imagine uh, the first time you took on this role, it was more about just get on with it, right? You either prove yourself or you don't. Then diversity, equity, inclusion was a little bit about do not discriminate, right? But now it's a completely different story because now, as you said, it's create an environment where everyone feels safe to be themselves and to speak out their mind and where everyone respects each other. How far we've gone from back then to now and even concepts like implicit bias, which does not talk about it, I don't know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Basically, the conversation has progressed so, so much. Mm-hmm. I think with, we now operate it in a different terms completely, but also at a different level, right? And I think that we are struggling even more now because I think, but I think that's a normal learning journey, right? So, or change journey. When you start, you you don't know so much, you know, like, and then you have much more optimism that you can change things. And then the more you learn, the more scared you become because, you know, like you realize that it's just what you, what you used to see is just the top of an iceberg and basically what's underwater, you will never be able to discover right so you will mm-hmm. ne- never be able to change somehow and, and and so and so and i think that this is their idea of this of this progress so what do you mean that we're struggling even more C- can you give an example of this right i mean struggling even more i say like how we uh, now now we know how complex their topic is right so mm-hmm. we are talking of so many different types of diversity, right? Mm-hmm. So we are having so much of social pressure as well that mm-hmm. we didn't have, you know, like at that at, at times. So in this pressure, but also, you know, like understanding of complexity. So how we as a business can actually create something, you know, that would address those unique needs. Mm-hmm. Right. So because if you think that every person is unique, every person is this a mix of this unique 
features and characteristics, you know, like, and it's changing over time, right? So because now like I'm 40 years old and I've got, you know, like my own challenges and then, and I'm a mother, but I, I mean, 20 years ago, I, I didn't have that age and I, I, I was not a mother. So I, I had very different things. So they are changing needs. You know? Now we discovered many elements and, and changing elements. And the, the key thing is that how we actually can address those needs. How? Mm-hmm. Because the initial idea, like you said, is uh, make sure that people feel included, right? So we, we're, we are talking belonging now. So how we make sure that people feel they belong to this, I mean, in this organization, so they can be their true selves, they can actually kind of have this idea of, okay, I mean, I can speak up, I, I feel safe, I, I'm my true self, you know, with my mm-hmm. teammates, with my leaders, with my organization. I feel proud of what my organization, because, you know, this idea of purpose uh, mm-hmm. that I expect my organization is driven by uh, as well. So this is very complex. It's more complex because the definition of it is more fluid, isn't it? It can be different things for different people. And I guess it was much easier for the organizations to meet those diversity goals where you just had, okay, we need 30% of females in this level of positions done, right? But it's not like that anymore. It's, as you said, it's it's more complex. Exactly, it's not only about right? meeting the numbers. So, yes, yes, from those visual characteristics, we moved into all of this that is underwater, right? I would be talking about such things at my workplace, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea of separation between life and work, it was kind of, it was a Chinese wall between life and work almost. So like at work, you are kind of the best, the formal version of yourself. You are not talking about your challenges, your life challenges and so on. So, and then you start leaving when you leave. I mean, I know that I'm exaggerating. Of course, it was not at that at that extent, but still, you know what I mean? And and now we say there is no barrier, right? So like there is no such idea, even uh, such an idea as, as a life-work balance or work-life balance, right? So because it's still your life, you live your life. And uh, now we talk about things we never talked about. We have expectations from our employers, from the business that we never had before. So we feel now safe to talk about those needs and this is kind of you know like one evidence uh, that actually we made some progress because people started to speak up and they feel safe enough to talk about that and expect that at the same time so how would we address those needs right so what we do as as business as as a company uh, to to address those needs you have some fantastic achievements under your belt could you give an example of DEI initiative that you've led that you participated in that you found particularly effective for organizations? So for me, there are two types of things, of initiatives that I believe they are kind of the most effective. So first is that when they address a very concrete certain issue, right? So like when you know that issue and you create a solution to this particular specific thing. And the second thing is when organizations, when when companies, they manage to create initiatives to actually to help people fulfill their needs, you know, like that actually speak to many, you know, I mean, not those very tailored, very focused initiatives, but actually they they include many people. And I can give you kind of a couple of examples, Mm -hmm. right? So speaking of this ladder, you know, Mm -hmm. when it's really mass initiative where we try to involve many people, 
uh, as many people as possible, basically, you know, like, and let them speak about their needs and feel included and find solutions that would actually suit them, that would actually help them in their life. So we called it One Ask. And the idea was that we said in the beginning of the year, have a conversation with your manager and the manager is supposed to ask you what is one thing that I can do for you that would actually make your life professional or personal easier or better what can I do for you and we can make this agreement and then you have my full commitment to that and we will make it happen right and that can be anything right so that could be any professional discussion or it can be something very personal and that was a very efficient thing eventually because what it did is that it's not the company who needs to identify those needs and design solutions right so and they are as many as we we've got people but it's actually between a person an individual and their manager to speak in the safety and with respect about their own needs and find the right solution to that Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it gives an incredible autonomy to managers to really to get to know their people and create this idea of safety in the team, right? But at the same time, you know, like it creates this idea of safety to people, you know, like that I can actually speak to one person and then I can make an agreement, you know, and then it can change. And it's not that something that you can meet for five years, right? So because, you know, like this need can change in a year or even like six months and then we we will reevaluate. So that was a very popular thing and it worked really well. You can say, okay, but good managers, they do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I will say, yes, they should, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what they should be doing. You know, they should be asking their team members so what they can do for you, because this is the role of the manager, what I can do for you so that mm-hmm. you actually perform at your best, you know, like so that you feel your true self and then you can achieve and you can perform and so on. But you know what, sometimes what we need to do is really to let people do that, you know, like mm-hmm. to allow, to officially say, okay, please do that. So, I mean, make it a norm, you know, eventually mm-hmm. what the companies can do, they can do normal things and norm. So that was one. And this fantastic second, initiative, fantastic initiative, oh, because um, it, it's like you said, managers should do that. But at the same time, they have so many priorities, right? And sometimes it's difficult to focus on that one thing. And it, it's simple. It's actionable. It's, it's very specific. It's bespoke. It empowers the employees. It gives uh, that solution, you know, the decision over the solution into their hand. It creates that trust. It allows the managers to get to know employees on a more personal level. Oh, it's a fantastic initiative. Out of curiosity, do you know what typically employees were saying? What do they need? Yes, we actually tried to capture that again with all of their care and respect for the privacy because we really wanted it to to be at that level, but we needed some data just to understand, okay, what are the biggest needs? When we launched that, it was before COVID and majority of needs, they were linked to flexibility, time flexibility, office flexibility, different types of flexibility. So basically, you know, what you can learn from that is that it's really hard to, to squeeze these thousands of people into this uh, one working schedule, one office or one place that you think that your company is. So, so people really have different needs and different expectations and different 
commitments as well. And uh, majority of needs, they were about flexibility. And eventually at PepsiCo, it all resulted in a big global initiative called Work That Works that actually allowed people to decide how they want to use the office, you know, how they want to create their working schedule and so on and so forth. So, so it gave a lot of flexibility and addressed many needs. The other thing is that people not always really know how to fulfill their professional needs. And of course, you know, like in many companies, we've got the development conversations, career conversations and so on and so forth. But sometimes they don't cover these small things. People very often, they think of development is that how I can develop myself for this specific job. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, and this is what all the development conversations or many development conversations and career conversations are about. So, the thing is that people are bigger than the jobs that they do, right? Or their positions and roles. And sometimes it's about, okay, I really have this idea or dream to start doing something and I need a little bit more time for that or some support for that or how can we organize this and so on. So, it was a lot about, again, blurring this line between work and life and how companies can help make it work basically Mm -hmm. both for the people and the companies right so because as you said so it's still about business it's still about high performance teams it's still about this idea that we are here to perform and i think that now three years after a pandemic so since we've got all of this flexibility i think that the majority of needs they shifted more towards okay how i can fulfill myself better like i'm asking some tailored solution you know like to create my own working schedule but it's like how i can do something else how i can try something else those things so helping people find a purpose in their job so they feel exactly. uh-huh. yes uh-huh. yes how i can uh-huh. fulfill myself but but of course you know there are always things that you would never think of for me those exceptions and when we are talking about inclusion things that are in this let's say minority reports so they are more important than the majority because i think we are at the stage right now where it's not about the majority because in many companies and and i saw that in pepsico as well we've got really really high numbers of how people feel included you know like how people feel engaged how they feel belong and so on and so forth so those numbers are really high over 80s uh, very often and actually that's that gives you an idea that you are doing something right so because you know like majority of people they feel really good about that so mm-hmm. for me the devil is okay but what is there in those five ten percent what they are struggling with actually mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. and how to really not to trying to kind of again as business we really want kind of the big numbers the big facts you know like and trends and so on but inclusion for me it's not only about that but also how you also consider those exceptions how you actually still keep an eye on those things because sometimes they what they signal is that again there is another level of complexity that you will uncover in a couple mm-hmm. of years and only five ten percent people they feel it like that right now but then you know like you will uncover just another level of complexity right. here and did you find out is it something that you managed to get data on already not what yet the- i think it's for me it's it's first like this gut feeling that this is going to be mm-hmm. kind of next level of dni work in principle getting into this you know like small numbers what's behind and how you can actually draw 
trends and draw data data out of that. I cannot answer that right now, but I, I think uh-huh. that in a couple of years, if we have this conversation, I'm sure I will uh-huh. I will have something to share. So it's something the organization is looking at right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you mentioned about helping people to fulfill themselves in their roles. Do you have any any specifics in terms of how can organizations do that? What people specifically asked for? How do you merge that personal and professional life for people? How do you help them? One thing is that that is really becoming big. People want to do good in principle, Mm -hmm. right? So like, and how you can let them do this, how you can help them with time and Mm -hmm. opportunities. So Mm -hmm. we are talking like charities, we are talking volunteering work, Mm -hmm. we are talking different types of like contributions, small or big that they can make. Again, you can have it like in-house in the organization and many big organizations, they have their own volunteering programs, social programs and so on, so that people can actually participate in. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, like how how you can make it more local because again we are talking this tailor-made we are talking this community thing you know mm-hmm. and how to create platforms or how to create opportunities for people to spend time there as well because it's becoming bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and i know that in many places including popsicle right so we were given this opportunity to contribute with a program called uh, One Smile at a Time. So it's basically mm-hmm. like a global program that helped you find your local initiatives, you know, in your local like, communities and so on and, and take part, but still being a part of the global movement. But I know that, you know, like many other companies, they do kind of similar things or they just simply give you some hours to volunteer, right? Mm-hmm. So like this is the hours that you can actually spend volunteering or, I mean, even, even the idea of team buildings change right so like very often we see that people really want to spend time with their teams doing something together rather than just simply spending time in a kind of traditional team building from 20 years ago so what i'm saying is there are many ways to do that and i think that it will develop more and more from this idea okay how we can do that all together how we can do it like standardized in a standardized way to again more okay, how we can give more autonomy to people to decide how they want to contribute, how they want to create an impact and how we can enable them, right? So Mm -hmm. we actually lead them in this Mm -hmm. direction. Speaking of this idea of fulfillment, speaking of idea of creating the safety of conversation that can actually go anywhere. And you, as a manager, you are not scared of it, right? So, And as an employee, you are not scared of it either. Because what we want to achieve is this level of normality, you know, like when you can have a normal conversation, like you being you, your manager being themselves as well, you know, like, and you can find a solution. This is basically what we're talking about. But to achieve this level of safety, this level of inclusion is really, is really important. And one thing that is really becoming more and more important, especially after the pandemic, is this idea of mental health and how connected the DNI agenda is becoming to mental health. Because it's it, they are coming both from this place of safety and how open you can become at work speaking about those things and what we can do at work to make you feel included but also respected and supported when you 
are dealing with different types of uh, mental health issues while work can create lots of stress. This is a difficult conversation as well. And uh, I think that the lower is the level at which people can actually talk about that, right? So basically, when I'm feeling stress, whatever I need, I need a break or something. So if I can have a relationship with my manager or if I can have someone that I trust, who I trust in my organization so that I can talk about that, the better. It, there is another layer of it so because we actually raise expectations in our managers to be able to deal with all of these things. We say, okay, they need to have this conversation and this conversation they need to be, but we, we don't expect them to be trained mental health experts, right? So mm-hmm. to be able really to, you know, to help, uh, to navigate through this. So for me, this is also a difficult, challenging question that the companies would need to answer, right? So because we expect the managers, basically people, they are also people, you know, like, like, like everyone, to know more, to be able to deal with complex things at not a high, but at least, you know, like at a normal level. So how would we enable them, right? So what is the key to that? So is this autonomy or is this trainings and capability that you need to build or it's awareness or what is this that you would do to make sure that those conversations, if you start them, they will continue in the way that are beneficial both for employees and for managers as well. That is very true. It can be a very sensitive topic, can it? So it's not only about having the right intentions, but it's also about having, as you said, the capabilities and skills to manage such a conversation in a way that it doesn't make things worse. Totally. Yes. In the right place. Right. Mm -hmm. So just to guide them in the right place, Mm -hmm. if you're unable to to, to deal with that. So Mm -hmm. basically what I'm saying, and this is how we started, right? So that we are struggling more because we are uncovering more and more things into that. And Mm -hmm. the more we dig into that, right? So the more complexity we discover and the expectations, they're also rising, right? And Mm -hmm. this is uh, where we are currently. So I'll ask you a a more specific question. You mentioned psychological safety several times. What is one or two pieces of advice you could give to a manager, to a leader, someone who who manages a team to create the psychological safety within their team? What could they do? It's so difficult to answer in one or two things, right? We'll we'll not solve everything. That's that's yeah. I mean, it's definitely one actionable or two actionable pieces of advice they could take. I think first is don't assume things. I know that it's kind of negative, don't, but I think that a lot of unsafety, even with good intentions, starts from assumptions that you know this person and you know how they feel or they know what they need or you know like what's best for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that even with good intentions, it can actually go really, really wrong. So for me, it's about don't make assumptions about people and what they need and what they want. I just ask them. Ask mm-hmm. open questions. And in many ways, in safe ways and surveys, in listening sessions and focus group and interviews between managers and employees. So encourage these open conversations, encourage this idea of, okay, I ask and I take your response. I'm, I'm here to listen. So this is one. The second is actually connected really to the first one. It's listen actively, right? So because it's a lot of the things that you assume they're going really Really well that you've got everything so they might be very different but you need to listen very actively to be able to understand them you know and so how people really feel how people mm-hmm. feel 
in this particular meeting, for instance, or how they feel talking to someone or how they feel dealing with something and so on and so forth. So I, I think this idea of like listening to feedback, giving an opportunity for this feedback and then doing something with that, you know, like addressing it and acknowledging that. I think that the big part of it is also acknowledgement of the problem, right? So when you actually get back to people and say, oh yeah, we heard this and this is what we hear and this is really, it, it, it's happening. Even though you, you don't have a solution to that right now right you need to acknowledge things and you need to make commitments you know like and you need to move yourself if, if we talk leaders you know like how we move leaders from being part of the problem to the part of the solution so that's also an important thing and here i'm not even like touching their really basic things right so we're not talking basic things because if it's about discrimination if it's about any way that people feel unsafe already you know like and they they need to have a way to report it. They need to have a safe mm-hmm. way, but mm-hmm. we're not touching this because I think mm-hmm. that this is in many organizations. This is what was already done, right? So, mm-hmm. and we are talking about more like nuanced psychological mm-hmm. safety in certain interactions and in certain in the way people have an opportunity to speak up, for instance, or mm-hmm. in the meetings or at work in principle, right? So how they communicate to each other, how they communicate to leaders, how they feel trusted as well, right? So how they trust others, those more nuanced things. So I think that a lot of learnings about how to do that, mm-hmm. it comes from the feedback. It comes from listening before acting, before assuming, before jumping on things. Mm-hmm. I think this is the key thing. Uh, I'll ask you last question, uh, more personal. You've been through this very interesting journey, as you said, hearing about it in in one summary. uh, It's interesting because, of course, for you, I imagine like for everyone, it's been ups and downs. It's been challenges and successes. Sometimes it was easy, sometimes it was hard. But overall, you've had a fantastic career. You've had lots of opportunities to make impact on the organization. I I, I presume you've fulfilled yourself, something that you set up for yourself at the beginning of your career, making impact. You've had an opportunity to do that. If you look back at your career and at the time when you just came out of university, what is one advice you would give to your younger self back then? Oh, wow. I mean, uh, there would be many. (laughs) (laughs) One thing for sure, I would say, don't rush. Right, don't rush. You've got all of the time. You've got all of the time. I would really just kind of hug myself and say, don't rush. You don't need to rush because you know, I didn't have the fear of taking the job. So you know, like doing big things. I didn't have the fear. I was quite naive, I think, and and very optimistic and trusted myself. But I rushed so much, you know. And now I'm at a very different stage of my life where my child is is 18 this year. She's finishing her school, and you know. I'm almost an emptiness. It feels like a life stage right now. And I'm learning from this advice. And I say like, oh, I mean, I don't want to rush anymore. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I really to appreciate the, the time. And so, yes, so, so please, people don't rush. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because a lot of the times when I speak to leaders that they, they tell me something similar, I would tell myself, don't rush. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Give yourself grace have patience. I hear that a lot, but I think it's easier to say that to yourself when you've had 15 years, 20 years of experience. But I know myself, if someone told me that back when I was 22, I, I still wouldn't believe it. I think it's just a, I think it's just a part of being young. Yeah, because you know that you'll be all right, right? So because yeah. this is what you also would say, right? So you'll be all right. I mean, you'll be fine. It will. You will be great. You are great already. You don't have the proof when you're 20 and you say like oh my god I mean I'm losing all of that time so what if 
But this is the wisdom you only get with the age, unfortunately. <laughs> I think so. Every age comes with their own benefits. And yeah. you know, now I've got this experience and understands, you know, how things can be done different and with more grace and, and care for myself, for anyone. But I don't think that is something that naturally comes to you when you're 20, 20 years old anyway. I would say take care, even if you rush, because you wouldn't listen to anyone. <laughs> so just make sure you take care about yourself. I think that the care element is is very important. Care of yourself, care of the ones that you love, because in the end of the day, you know, like this is what's important. You have to put your oxygen mask first before you help others, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like this metaphor, it always works, because I think this is very, very vivid. You can really imagine that. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time and, and for sharing your insights and, and your story. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And I hope that I managed to share something that actually actually is interesting. That's it for this month's Ways Women Lead episode. But there is plenty more insightful and actionable advice from where this podcast came from. Check out our website on www.6-group.com if you'd like to know more about how to build and develop diverse, inclusive and effective leadership teams and how to progress your career as a leader. See you next time.